0: everybody, you're listening to the 12th episode of the Hipster Baseball Podcast. I'm DeCarlo Calloway alongside Dorian, and on today's podcast, we're going to start an insurrection in West Virginia. Not really uh, Secret Service, but just saying. Uh, Watch the Philadelphia Phillies commit harikari, and the Cleveland Indians suddenly became woke. So what's up, Dorian? How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing really well.
0: I'm happy that we're going to
1: talk about all these wonderful things, but as you know, before we talk about anything, we can't do it without drinking. And So today I'm drinking an Imperial, you boys from Mexico, oh wait, no, actually the name of this thing is called Imperial, you boys like Mexico, question mark, exclamation point. And it's from a local brewery called Harper's Ferry Brewing in Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. And I'm going to open this bad boy, it's a 32 ounce crowler. And today we're gonna talk about John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry. Normally we talk about this in elementary school and we go over, it was important, things happened anyways, on to the next show. But what actually happened at this raid at Harper's Ferry at an arsenal is the hinge of American history, how unbelievably important this event was leading up to it, the actual storming of the arsenal and then the trial afterwards. So this insurrection started it was actually was a very short episode. It happened over two days back in 1859. Who was it led by? A man by the name of John Brown. You might recognize him because he looks exactly like a lost cousin of the Duck Dynasty boys. He's white. He's tall. He's lanky. He has a beard down to his nipples. Um, he's quite a sight. He was a fervent religious Calvinist. He, act, he believed that God put him on this earth to end slavery in America. And just three years earlier, back in 1856, he actually fought in Kansas when Kansas was a, was a territory, because back then they were deciding whether Kansas was going to enter the Union as a slave state or not. But, all right, back to Harper's Ferry Park. By district. the way,
0: this is, this is something you need to know, is that he didn't just fight in, uh, in Kansas. Him and his sons were, were riding around hacking people with broadswords. That's true. This man was no joke. Yeah, he was no joke. It wasn't like he just come there and, you know, preach fire and brimstone. No, he brought the steel. Like, no joke. Like, he was slaughtering people without a doubt. And two of his sons
1: were also kidnapped in Kansas during what he he initially became famous for called uh, the Battle of Blackjack. But that's another story. And so Brown, his idea was take over a federal weaponry uh, arsenal in Harper's Ferry. An arsenal is where uh, weapons are located, where they're stored. And this particular arsenal, oh, and also you know, in
0: modern day times, they're also when you might have, say, like track meets. Oh no, those are armories. My bad. Oopsie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> sure. And uh, you, you're 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 drinking before your time. Hold on there. So um, so this 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 arsenal contained about a hundred thousand muskets and rifles. That is some serious weaponry. Brown was gonna use this weapons to arm slaves in Virginia and start an insurrection. And we're saying it's Virginia because back then West Virginia didn't exist. So Harper's Ferry Harper's was actually the, west, the westernmost point of Virginia. And like I said, Brown wanted to start an insurrection of slaves in Virginia. And he actually approached Harriet Tubman. We all remember who she was. And she said, no, because she was ill. He also approached Frederick Douglass. And he said, no, because you are crazy. Douglas warned Brown, quote, you will never get out alive, end quote. Why? Because Brad, uh, Frederick Douglass said, if you attack this, this arsenal, you're attacking the federal government, and they will all come down on you. and it, it, You can't win. But why did Brown think he could actually storm the arsenal, grab the weaponry, and then start the insurrection? Because it had been done before in Brown's lifetime. The Haitian Revolution, when the Haitian slaves rose up, and beat back their French masters. There was this there's a slave insurrection on the Spanish ship La Mistad, which is Spanish for friendship. And I think I believe that was in 1836. And also there was a slave revolt
0: it's in Jamaica. By a movie. Let's, also let's a movie, a very good movie. Yeah, let's, let's not forget. Give us free Jamin Hansu. That was that was speaking of this uh, particular instance, by the way. I'm sorry, continue. Oh, more information the better, I've
1: always said. And lastly, there was another slave insurrection on the island of Jamaica in 1831 called the Baptist War. Why? Because it was led by a Baptist preacher, a man of God, just like John Brown. So John Brown said, it's been done before. God put me on earth to do this. It will get done. So the raid of John Brown and his men, of uh, there were 22 of them, five black men, 17 white men. The raid The raid lasted from the 16th to the 18th of October, just a few months ago, basically, back in 1859. And there was a brand new technological invention, as this happened, the telegraph. Brown was a smart man. He decided to cut the communications. They cut the telegraph lines leading to and from Maryland and leading to and from Virginia because they didn't want Washington, D.C., the federal government, to come crashing down on them. They managed to do that. They managed to do it. But... They were ultimately defeated very quickly by a company of the U.S. Marines, and First Lieutenant Israel Green led the Marine Company, which, which was about, composed of about 86 men, so Brown was vastly outnumbered. For those two days, Brown held the prisoners. One of those prisoners was the great-grandnephew of George Washington, his name Lewis Washington. We're going to get back to him in, in a minute. The commanding officer to retake the arsenal that Brown and his men had, had, had overrun was a lieutenant colonel by the name of Robert E. Lee. The operation lasted three minutes. A few men died. Brown was captured. Hostages were, were, were released. Yeah. So...
0: And, n- go ahead. What are you going to say? No, I, I, I want to know more. Tell me. So, like, it's interesting that you speak of this because recently about maybe a month or two ago, um, there was a limited series called The Good Lord Bird on Showtime, which was uh, based on a novel loosely set Um around the events of John Brown moving through breeding um bleeding Kansas up to um the raid on Harper's Ferry. And one thing that was interesting, um, shout out to Ethan Hawk for um starring in and producing it. Um it was interesting because it, it showed John Brown as this very very religious but very simple man who lives by the word of God. And it's interesting if you know anything about Calvinists, their belief belief in predestination in their lives was something that drove their their actions. And so for John Brown to believe that he was the one who was going to abolish slavery was something that he full-throatedly believed and he convinced his sons to follow him and other individuals as well. But one thing that the show tends to do is, is that it portrays John Brown not only as a simple individual with one guided task, but almost as a fanatic. And, you know, in our time, we look at religious fanaticism, whether it be say, um, you know, cults, death cults, um, like the Branch Davidians or uh, Heaven's Gate or um, Al-Qaeda, or the Islamic State, this idea that these people are so crazy and how are these people going to follow them to lead them to their death or it's sacrilegious to be able to believe that you utilizing violence as a political aim is acceptable. But he used it as a political aim. And he also understood, I think he came to an understanding more so than, say, um, Frederick Douglass about the situation. because It's interesting how they bring up that dichotomy, how Frederick Douglass... Being the orator can only move and do so much in a in a movement because for one he had to portray a particular idea of an African American one that is intelligent one that isn't overly non-threatening one that shows the humanity of the Negro. Whereas if say Frederick Douglass was participating in the raids like John Brown, like it, there would have been no way that you would have had. A larger support of white Americans joined on to abolition movements and and really push for the Civil War later on. So John Brown being in that incident at Harper Ferry, being that spark, that catalyst that truly did end slavery in the United States, he wasn't wrong, but it was just really interesting how you see it coming along or even just this artistic expression of it, but just to kind of conceptualize how this might've come about during this time and a cascade of say events. Like there's a lot of things that could or failures of of operations or strategic like operations just really moves on momentum or just being plain lucky. And unfortunately they weren't really that lucky in this case, it could have been a completely different predicament, but at the end of the day, it did lead towards the end of slavery. So. And it, 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 it,
1: Absolutely was part of it. So we've seen John Brown's a man of action. He's a man of God, and he is a violent man. So the Harper's Ferry raid is over. What's the aftermath of this? John Brown goes on trial along with his accomplices. The governor of Virginia was absolutely irate that this had happened. Long story short, the trial is set in Charlestown, Virginia, now modern-day West Virginia. This was the event of the mid-century, before that horrible thing that would happen just two years later of in the United States, the government was so nervous, so scared, that potentially a, a raid would happen to try and cap and try to free John Brown and his associates that the government sent 2,000 federal troops, which Lieutenant Colonel Robert E. Lee was part of, in addition to the Richmond Grays, which was a volunteer militia force of 1,500 men. Charlestown has 3,500 armed soldiers. This is is not a joke. The federal government is not playing when, this is how scared they are of, not just John Brown, but the ideas that he's spreading. I'm gonna tell you something even further of that. They were so scared that John Brown was gonna get rescued. They had all these troops and they had brought up artillery. Who was in command of the artillery? Major Thomas Jackson. We now know him as Stonewall Jackson, a general a few years down the road who would become one for a different
0: Yeah, and a general, well, organization called the Confederate States of America Correct. and a general that if he would have survived uh, the, the war, it could have completely went a different way because the man was a military genius, but anyway.
1: I he think. was also incredibly deeply, deeply religious. Uh, and racist. Major Thomas Jackson. The,
0: the, the, and a hypochondriac. You're, you're thinking <laughs> about
1: another general, I, Thomas. This is we're going off the rails here. Back to tra- back to track. They were so nervous that, the, that they brought in artillery headed by Major Thomas Jackson. The artillery was not pointed away outside of the town. It was pointed to the gallows. Why? Because if anyone broke through and tried to rescue John Brown before he eventually, of course, he was going to get hanged, they were going to blow his body to smithereens before they cut him down. It, it's, we don't learn this, but this is true. This is the seminal event of the 19th century. Well, now it's the second event behind the Civil War, of course. there were so. Why is this the hinge of American 19th century history? There were so many actors in that small town of Charlestown. Lieutenant Colonel Robert E. Lee was there. Major Thomas Jackson was there. Uh, the uh, first Lieutenant Green was there. Walt Whitman, one of the great American poets, was there. And he wrote a poem about the day that he was there. And there was also a little known actor who was so interested. He had, he had to be there. He had to be, he had to go and watch John Brown be executed. What did he do? He knew that no one could actually get into the town. So he borrowed, quote unquote. The uniform, a uniform from one of the Richmond Greys, which again was the was the volunteer militia force that was part of the that, to protect the uh, the proceedings, so to speak. Who was this actor? John Wilkes Booth, the man six years later would assassinate President Abraham Lincoln. This also this almost seems like a novel. How everybody is there. Brown was a man of God, a man of religion. He knew what he did was right up until the very end. He told his jailer, Hiram, o- Hiram O'Bannon, quote, I am now convinced that the great inequity, slavery, which hangs over this country, cannot be purged without immense bloodshed. When I first came to the state, I thought differently, but now I'm convinced that I was mistaken, end quote. In the North, John Brown was a hero. He was fighting for the sin of slavery. He died for our sins. In the South, he was the devil, a traitor, and a murderer. So what happens? As we all know, Robert E. Lee joins the Confederate States of America. First Lieutenant Green joins the Fed- Confederate States of America Marine Corps with the rank of captain, so he got a promotion. Uh, Lewis Washington, the great-grandnephew of George Washington, sided with the Confederate States, and because of this treason, he actually had to be pardoned, uh, given a presidential pardon by Andrew Johnson on the 17th of July, 1865, after the Civil War. And so this is unbelievably important, and i I welcome you, I invite you, I challenge you to learn more about John Brown and the Raid at Harpers Ferry and even more famously that trial which John Brown in his day was the most famous man in America until President Lincoln was killed. Why? Because of the because not just of his idea of being an abolitionist, but because of the electric telegraph. So for John Brown and the idea of abolitionism, we I cheer you with uh, Harpers Ferry brew beer.
0: Thank you for that uh, engaging story. And detailed Donna. story. Yeah, very detailed. <laughs> but no,
1: not detailed enough.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I keep it simple. I'm drinking a Gentleman Jack on the rocks right now. So I'm going from the other end of the spectrum getting really uh, antebellum drinking Tennessee whiskey. <laughs> so how, uh,
1: how deeply morbidly romantic of you to go a- i know drink? Right?
0: i know and they're crazy but anyway folks just like we always like to say um you know we want you guys to post your drinks so as you listen to the podcast watch baseball highlights sit back and read a baseball article or watching the snow that is gently falling down in the northeast make sure that you tweet us a picture of that um and we'll retweet the best ones we will also be posting pictures of our drinks especially some of the nicer newer ones and the ones with the biggest elaborate uh, detailed explanations about so remember tweet us our handle at hbp4040 and remember to use the hashtag HBPdrink. so we, we talked about the Philadelphia Phillies committing Harikari, and for those who know what Harikari is, it's uh, pretty much the sacrificial uh, well, killing no, wait, of oneself.
1: Carlo, it's not, it's not, if people who know it, you don't have to explain it, it's for the people who don't know, if you don't know what Harikari is, what oh, is Oh yeah, i too much, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's an ancient Japanese, I don't want to say tradition, but.
0: Well, it is, is a tradition. It? It's a tradi- well, it's a samurai tradition. So we could be specific. It's a, it's a samurai tradition in which instead of being captured by your enemies, you essentially sacrificially kill yourself, which is supposed to be a thing of honor in the samurai tradition. And so the Philadelphia Phillies are experiencing a financial crunch like most teams in the major They're East experiencing currently. They're experiencing
1: dishonor. They are dishonoring their name and the house of the samurai warrior because they are not a bunch of warriors. What's wrong with the Philadelphia Phillies? They're going around, if you haven't heard, they're going around saying, basically, if you read between the lines, we don't have any money. Come rob us blind. John Middleton, we've spoken about him a few episodes on this on HBP. He's the majority owner of the Philadelphia Phillies. This man comes from a family who made their money in cigars, in, in episode eleven, we talked about some of the best cigars in the world in Estelí, Nicaragua, and also, of course, Western Cuba. But actually, they made their money in I think that I think the tobacco that they made was from North Carolina. Shockingly, right? his net worth is three is around over three billion dollars. Now, earlier this month, there were reports that the Philadelphia Phillies said that they had lost, I think it was $145 million. People, if someone doesn't open their books to you, you cannot take them at their word to say we lost $145 million. And if you did, frankly, so what? A sports team is a wealthy man's plaything, not a rich man's plaything, a wealthy man's plaything. Don't go crying poor. So what happened? So what was this hoopla about? They signed the pitcher Zach Wheeler, who was formerly from uh, the New York Mets. After he, he just finished his first year, con- he, just, he has a five-year contract. He just finished his first year. They're ar- they're already dabbling with the idea of trading him away. <laughs> Allegedly, there was a report that the Los Angeles Dodgers were targeting their the Philadelphia Phillies' stud pitcher Aaron Nola. You don't you don't trade away one of your key franchise. People, if you uh, if you're serious about winning or, or or having honor to to the great samurai name of uh, the Philadelphia Phillies, the philadelphia the Philadelphia Phillies also let go of about eighty people, scouts, people in the business department, people in baseball operations. They're just cutting costs left and right. So when John Middleton heard that they heard this report from ESPN saying that they've lost all this money. They're open to trading this guy, that, him, the other, and everyone else. He's like, no, 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 no. We're, we're not, we're not letting these people go. We want to sign. It's like, okay, then don't tell me what your idea is. Show me. Don't tell me what you believe in. Show me what you believe in. And if you're cutting costs by letting go of personnel in your organization and then needing everybody up for sale, basically for trade, there's something going on there. And look, why, what's going on here? It, it's just, it doesn't make sense. There's no strategy going, what's going on. Zach Wheeler is going to go into a second year. Their new manager Joe Girardi he just finished his first year. Their prize signing from two years ago Bryce Harper who signed that humongous 13 year I think it was 330 million dollar contract. He just finished his second year. What in the world is going on with the Philadelphia Phillies? They, it, it, if they are committing Harikari, they're doing a very botched up job, and then. To throw you a curveball, they go out and sign Dave Dombrowski as the new president of baseball operations. If you don't know who Dave Dombrowski is, this man has built winners every team he's been with. He's led three teams to the World Series. The Florida Marlins, who who are now called the Miami Marlins, the Detroit Tigers, and the Boston Red Sox. He does this by emptying out the farm system and just signing superstars and you know what it's a strategy that works so i don't understand how M- mr mr middleton says we don't have any money but by the way i'm going to hire this guy who's known to spend serious coin to get us to the world series it it doesn't make sense if i was well, in Philadelphia,
0: maybe it does make sense maybe it's just a strategic ploy in order to really kind of throw everybody off guard it's like on one end saying yeah, i'm gonna so, play stupid yeah <laughs> I mean, honestly, that, like, hell, you'd be surprised at how many people fail up. So the idea of playing stupid, especially in a market that's pretty much stupid all over the place because everybody's throwing in their loads and money.
1: Shots fired, Philadelphia.
0: Yeah, it,
1: it's possible. Who
0: knows? I mean, we could easily just sit here and speculate based on what information we have, but at the same time, You know, people. This is all inside information, people. This is all inside information. No SEC, it's really not. Anyway, (laughs) we're not
1: not giving, we're not trading stocks and bonds here, so we're okay. But anyway, so um, yeah, I don't know who sees. But yeah, so don't cry poor to then leave yourself. This is just, this is just business advice we're going to give you. Don't cry poor and then expect a potential business relationship to not trying to take advantage of you and then don't cry poor and then bring in a man who likes to spend a lot of money you get your results but he spends money so what the hell's going on Philadelphia but anyways I'm going to tell you that's what Mr. Middleton's doing and the city of Philadelphia is going through it, we don't know what's happening day to day but there are some things that we can just point to our calendar that's known that that we know that's gonna occur. One of them being the holidays. Here we are in December. And this leads us to our show sponsor, Burdines. That's Burdines, the Florida store. Request your holiday catalog today. It'll be in your mailbox before you know it. For the best in menswear, women's wear, find it at Burdines, the store that lets you live your Florida lifestyle. Be the reason your friends and family smile this holiday season when you shop at Burdine's, the Florida store, since 1898. You know what else has been around for a, a long time? Oh. The country of Nicaragua. And we're going to take our flying machine back down to Nicaragua to visit the Winter Leagues. But we're not going to talk about any games. I'm just going to give you a quick update on some of the players because a few episodes ago, I was telling you that of all the baseball that's being played in Latin America, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, the Miss- Mexican Pacific League, The Dominican League, Nicaragua, oh, goodness, I'm losing track here, Venezuela, and Colombia, because there was no minor league team, there was no minor league season in the United States. A lot of those minor league players went down to Latin America to get reps, to get competitive pitches, competitive at-bats, and so a lot of the major league teams are focusing even more heavily than they usually would do in the winter. So two of the players that I had mentioned on this podcast before, uh, the third baseman from from uh, Rivas, uh, Chester Colbert. Last year, he was with the Chicago White Sox organization. And just a a week ago, he was offered, he, he signed a minor league deal with the Cincinnati Reds for the 2021 season. So congratulations to Chester. He got exactly what he wanted, a major league contract. Well, potential for a major league contract, but he will be invited to spring training and all that. And we're going to talk about spring training momentarily. and The ramifications of that. Another man... A young man, a pitcher, a little close to my heart, because he used to be with the Atlanta Braves organization, Dilmer Mejia. He just signed a contract with the Chicago White Sox, who HBP loves the Chicago White Sox. And this is just one more reason to love the Chicago White Sox, because they signed the pitcher from Leon, Dilmer Mejia. So congratulations to both of those gentlemen. I'm sure there were other players in the Nicaraguan League that have signed Major League Baseball contracts, but uh, those are just two of the ones that I wanted to highlight. And to Carlo, you want to tell us about taking our flying machine back to the United States about the wokeness of a certain major league baseball team.
0: Yeah. So, um, it seems like the, the Cleveland Indians have had the same idea as the Washington football team and decided that, you know what, after a summer of racial backlash, apart from say years or gener, you know, or decades of, uh, Ignoring the fact they're finally getting rid of their old uh logo and changing the name from the Cleveland Indians to we don't know yet, but they're going to they, be... <laughs> they did they the did take the logo, the logo, they took the the logo yes. they changed, I think, two years yeah. ago. And yes. now,
1: but they're going to carry they're still going to carry the name the Cleveland Indians throughout the 2021 season, and then uh, who knows, who knows when it's actually going to change to 2022,
0: yeah. Um, but it but, is something, it's progress to see, you know, team finally acknowledging that some groups don't really like to be mascotted, you know, and it's something historically, it, and, and it's crazy because it's something historically within the United States, you know, people don't realize like when you, you know, name a sports team or road, it's not necessarily in commemoration, it's, it's kind of like a trophy of ha ha ha, we defeated you, we own you. And when you do that, especially with, say, the names like the Indians and the Redskins, and you have these uh, stereotypical ideas of what people, or caricatures of what people believe them to be, you know, granted, you might have a large majority of people who might not be completely offended, but there are those who will be offended because, you know, you don't see the same, uh, car- you know, characterization of, you know, some historically white uh figures or you know commercializing and making them more like right you know overdoing the stereotypes and things of that nature so but, you, know, you know if little. it's equal i think everybody would be a little bit more like easy about it but the fact is it's never equal in the representation especially um, when it comes to marketing i've never been crazy about first off i i understand what people
1: coming from about changing the name of the Cleveland Indians, and this is not new new news this has been going on for decades and i remember this being a topic of conversation back in the 90s but it wasn't the uh, the 1990s not the 1890s i know we started off this podcast with the the 1800s so we're we are slowly skipping along the centuries here but the thing is that yes the indians is a very controversial name but actually it was they 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 only their cleveland's original name were the Spiders. And they changed it to the Indians in 1915, based off of newspaper contests. And this makes me laugh a little bit, not because of the name Indians, but uh, one of my unfortunate favorite football teams, the Miami Dolphins, they did the same thing in 1966. They just said, hey, people of Miami, what do you think our name should be? And some lady said, the Dolphins. And she ended up winning like season tickets for like, I don't know how many years. Um, So it's not like, it's not like there's like this grand ceremonial tradition behind the word Indians to honor the great Native Americans of the Ohio Valley. It someone just picked it off of a new at a newspaper poll in 1915, and the Cleveland Indians are another team that always cry poor. We've talked about their owners, the Dolans, Larry, the father, and his sons Paul and Matt. Now the Dolans aren't as famous as their brethren, their kin, so to speak, in in New York. <laughs> Paul and Matt's cousin, they're famous by association because they're they're related, they're cousins to the lead singer of the blues group, J D. and the Straight Shots.
0: Also who who the hell is that? that who the York hell is that? Carlo, as owner of the New York Knicks, and. Uh... What is it, Cablevision? Which is Cablevision, concept, yeah. MS,
1: uh, MSG, and uh, the New York Rangers mm. and the New York Liberty. Yep, a- and the the, the the great uh, James Dolan, the greatest
0: singer of his generation, he's or at least cooler. his mind. Yeah, he's that's called rich man's delusion (laughs) it's just like one of those things where you realize like oh you're rich you just happen to say you know what i want to have a band he's he's wealthy yeah he was uh, was a boy born born on third base oh that's the worst i mean i get it because if i had like wealth like that i would do i'd do some stuff like that as well like i probably like open up a bunch of restaurants and like Put myself as like a celebrity chef, even though people would probably hate my cooking, I wouldn't care. You know what I mean? It's if, just <laughs> if I had the if I had
1: the dolance, Larry Dolan's money or James or his nephew James Dolan's money. If I owned a sports team, let's say I owned the Atlanta Braves, I think I would open up my own restaurant in the stadium, just you know, Dorian's Grill, or uh, I have no idea. I would just do it because I could. It's like, who's it gonna tell? Them? You're not, you're not the boss,
0: you own the damn place. Yeah. <laughs> That's no one's like, gonna tell you, Jack. No, and the worst part is is that, not only like, like concerts at MSG, like for the Eagles, he would have JD and the Straight Shots come out and like perform like the opening act. And then there was insane. one time, there was one time that I heard that he had Carmelo Anthony, Christoph Porzingas, and Knicks players up on the stage like playing kazoos as well. Yeah, that's, that's like, oh. you know. It's like you use your like million dollar assets as freaking props for your wannabe rock and roll blues band to open for the Eagles, and you're like, oh my god, I live my dream! I open for the Eagles, and it's not even on merit; it's because you own the damn place.
1: Exactly. (laughs) I I know this is very New York centric to talk, be talking about James Dolan and the Madison Square Garden MSG, but it's this—he is a very James Dolan is a very unique person.
0: He's a very He's unique
1: person. That's yeah. that is so crazy. But again, if I had that, if I had the Dolans family type of money, uh, being the Braves, act, you know what actually happened back in the nineteen seventies. Again, we're ju- we're jumping between the nineteenth, twentieth, and twenty first century. Back in the nineteen seventies, when Ted Turner, another a great American slash uh, American baseball owner, he yes,
0: used to be. he, he single handedly practically saved the bison population yes. in North
1: America. I was going to say that as well, but he, because he was owner of the Atlanta Braves, I think this was like in 1980 or 1979, he actually appointed himself manager for one game. (laughs) And then after that game, major league baseball came down on him and said, you cannot be your own manager owners. This isn't the time of what was the, 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 uh, the owners, McGroff, the, that old guy from the Philadelphia athletics uh, he, who, who owned the team and McGraw. he was? And he was their manager. Yeah, John. No, Connie Mack. Connie Mack. It was a Connie Mack. Connie Mack. Yeah, because he Mack. owned yeah. the he owned the Athletics and he managed them for like fifty years. He was eighty years old and he was dressed in his tremendous, beautiful three piece suits. God, I wish managers would dress like that again. But we're going off here. The Cleveland Indians. I'm imagining them when they changed their name in 2022. I guess to be kind of like a new a fiance a female fiance going to become the bride you know she has to stand in line at the dmv to change her name uh change the name on social security <laughs> social security card uh, give the the marriage license i mean the reality is i'm i'm teasing obviously these these teams aren't gonna have to go through all that what a normal you know, young but what married couple have to they, go
0: through. what will they name themselves though because i mean cleveland have you ever been to cleveland
1: I haven't, that's one of the few Midwestern town cities I haven't been to, by the yeah, way. And I I, I love, I love the Midwest, but I've never been
0: uh, to. Yeah. Cleveland is a, it's a one horse town. Like, I mean, the rock and roll hall of fame is great. I, you know, apologies to people from Cleveland. I'm going to trash your city, but um, it, no, I'm not actually, there's some really, really good food. I, um, I, there was this one breakfast pot I went to and like the arcade thing. It's like in the middle of like the city, like center and oh, no no that's <laughs> <downside>. that's <laughs> downside. but that's they true. had these like amazing ter- like no it was like cannoli pancakes or something like that oh my god and this like country sausage i wish i remember the name of this place but food there i will say was really good like they have some like really like sweet like good food spots and the rock and roll hall of fame but it's just amazing and i was there and for like a conference and it was shut down for everybody just like the participants of the conference so that was so, great like having is, the whole- is-
1: DeCarlo was when you were there, was that the night that JD and the straight shots played? No, it
0: wasn't. Actually. <laughs> but it was a cold April, like it was extremely cold out of April. Oh my God, it was like twenty degrees. And then Cleveland sits right on Lake Erie. So that's like the worst when you get that like heavy Lake Wind. I'm I'm shaking oh. my head. No,
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna go hard pass on Cleveland and Chicago in December yeah, and it's, uh, Any
0: time during the winter, it's just terrible because that lake air off of like say the north, like further north, American. Just oh my god, it's like make your bones want to just like brittle and break. It's terrible.
1: But, but that we're talking about the winter though. We're talking right now. We're recording this in December, but eventually winter. So fall turns into winter. Winter turns into spring. And what happens in the
0: spring to Carlo? Um, flowers bloom. Bees pollinate flowers. Balls and... go
1: through the air. Bats are w- wishing through the air.
0: Oh, oh yeah, spring training. And, uh, yeah, so spring training definitely is close to – close upon us. But um, there's a little ringing that the, year, the season might start a little bit later this year. Um, Why? Because now... I didn't know
1: this until you told me this now, but go yeah, on. Yeah,
0: the Players Association is, uh for one, they want to make sure that all the players are vaccinated against COVID-19 prior to the start of the season, which might um delay the start to May, but also limit the total games from, say, 162. I'm estimating. I'm, I'm not right. particularly sure. This is inside like information, people. Or 90. But um I think it's 145 games, yeah. So so now you know it's it's deliberations back and forth, and of course, for those who are just kind of signing on and don't really know how powerful the, the major league baseball players association is, it's the strongest union on the planet Earth. And no, I, I'm gonna debate you on that. Really? The NBA has no. the strongest.
1: Yes, they do no, because no, no, no. because in the NBA 2020 21 season, they don't have to be tested to smoke uh the marriage of
0: well, that's because there's enough states, and especially most populated states, or even say like your big markets, there are states just around it that are um, that have made it legal. So it really doesn't, okay. it doesn't make sense anymore to keep it illegal. You know what the NBA Players Association has, as opposed to, say, Major League Baseball? A very good rapport with the owners well, of Adam, the NBA. Well, Adam Silver and Adam, is the, Adam the is best, the best commissioner yeah. in
1: all of North American sports.
0: He really is. Because he, he not only balances the, the um, you know, the wants and needs of, say, like the owners, but he con- seriously considers the players. It's like the NBA knows that its, it's product is the players and the players are, are smart about that. I mean, Major League Baseball, too, but you're also dealing with a more entrenched older old time like old boys association that's in there so it's a little bit harder but at the same time you know major league baseball's union will call a strike and end the freaking season they don't even care like they'll do that so they are powerful i mean it's good that you do see unions at least in say like your sports apart from the nfl players association they get get completely lambasted it's it's those guys it's so bad but you know nfl got commercial dollars
1: but the problem with one of the one of the problems with the delay, like De Carlo was saying that the Major League Baseball is probably going to start in May is that that's going to shave off about 20 20 odd games from the season. And so theoretically you're looking at 10 games uh, from the home gates. That means the potential ticket sales, the hot dog sales, beer, buying your $50 TV TV. <laughs> t-shirt the what happened was that the imperial you boys like Mexico question mark exclamation point is starting to hit me but so then the the major league baseball owners will then say hey look we're losing even more money and it's just going to cascade to just a bunch of nonsense but at this on the flip side of that I kind of like the fact that the major league baseball season might have 20 odd less games because that keeps the players fresher and that puts a better product out on the field We, listener, we have to think like businessmen and businesswomen, we can't look at things like an opportunist or an accountant, no offense to the accountants out there, but we have to see things as investments. What's good for the final product that we're putting out? And if we're putting out a fresh product where players are injured, we have the best players on the field for the most amount of time, that is absolutely a top line revenue generator which is good for everybody, agents, players, owners, people who work in concession stands, people who work in parking lots, at stadiums, et cetera. So at least we know that there will be baseball next year. And it's not going to be like it is this year when it started like in, it started like two weeks ago and it ended Ended like three days ago. So uh, yeah, so baseball will be back. In the meantime, we're still going to keep looking and enjoying the Cuban National League, the the Nicaraguan Baseball, Winter League, and all the other wonderful Latin leagues, but we want to tell you that we know that your pets also love baseball and they love listening to us on HBP. So we're going to ask you, tweet us a picture of your pet listening with you to the HBP podcast or doing what they do best, which we all know is sleeping. We're going to retweet those pictures you send us. Our Twitter handle is at hbp forty forty. Remember to use the hashtag hbpets. That's hbpets.
0: Right, and that's a wrap on this episode. So we want to thank you guys for listening. But wait, that's,
1: it's not a wrap, my, my 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 dear friend. This we we had a very Harper's Ferry nineteenth century abolitionist center. Then we moved to the twentieth century into the twenty first century. We also have to remember our New York heavy. James Dolan segment there's a lot of there is a lot of people celebrating Hanukkah in New York City my friend Mm. and we want to wish them a happy Hanukkah
0: as well as in Miami as well as in Los Angeles as well yeah absolutely and And
1: other areas across this world and all around the world so we want to say by the time this comes out we're going to say happy belated Hanukkah but uh, maybe next year. No, actually, no. I'm going to commit. I'm going to commit myself like a presidential candidate. I commit myself this time next year. We will have a Hanukkah slash baseball special.
0: <laughs> Alrighty, right. All everybody. But make sure you please subscribe to the podcast and give us a review. We're on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at at HBP4040 and our drinks will be in the show notes. So please make sure that you join us next time for a brand new episode of HBP Hipster Baseball Podcast. We're out. Peace.